Elaf Hadden fronts the band Svarskwerum. It's great to have you here for a talk with The Antidote. Thanks, man. It's, it's great to be here. It's your chance to laugh at how I pronounce the band name, because you're going to tell us the real way of saying it. Yeah, so it's it's Svarskwerum. So you almost nailed it, like 99%. <laughs> that means I get a passing grade. Yeah, 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 that's fine. We're also very polite in Sweden, so I wouldn't tell you if you didn't. That fits with our Canadian mindset, too. <laughs> that's good. We're polite even if somebody's really annoying us. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. We don't know how to confront someone. We don't know. How do you do that? It's scary. So I've already offended you with how I pronounce the band name. I might be offending you again because I thought that Sweden was really known for its metal and pop music. Obviously, with your band being punk, I was wrong. Is punk popular in Sweden? It is uh, still, actually. Yeah, we have a, a quite big scene um, still. It's it survived from the 80s and just continued to like be around the same amount. So... Of course, it goes down a couple of years, and then then the trend goes up again. And I'm surprised that kids today still like find old punk records and listen to them. Like I don't know how they find it. I don't know because you never see it on TV, you never uh, hear it on radio. But it's still a, a great scene, and it's a lot of places that you can can have gigs and stuff like that. So it's it's quite popular. Obviously, they're finding your band because you've been around for some time. Yeah, we've been around like 15 years or something. Yeah, that's crazy. I haven't thought about that. Does that make you feel old? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really old, actually. That's like, if in, in Sweden you're allowed to have sex when you're 15, so Svartekjörm could be a, a dad or a parent. <laughs> Many of the European and Scandinavian bands I know sing in English, but you haven't taken yeah. that route, except on the song Rebel Yell. You prefer to keep it Swedish? Yeah, it's more direct. When Swedish people hear English music, it's so much easier not to listen to the lyrics directly. You have to concentrate to take in the lyrics because you're so used to having that like a background noise. And then when you say something in Swedish, you have fewer words than English. So like you have more synonyms uh, to a specific word in English. And in Swedish, it's fewer so it's more direct in a way, like the sound of it. It's it's I feel uh, I feel it's more crunchy. I don't have a good word for it. It's like <laughs> sound. It's not as uh, melodic as, as English. So I like that, especially in punk music. And, and when people hear Swedish songs, they they can't flee from it. They they immediately hear uh, what we sing about. And in punk music, I guess that's the only thing we got going for us. Then doing the vocals in Swedish, does that not cut down on gaining fans outside of Sweden? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. We haven't thought about that. But it's kind of strange. Like a lot of plays on our, on Spotify and stuff like that is from America and especially Germany. And yeah, some from Canada besides you also. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I guess people like the the strangeness, the exotic vibe of it. But I guess you could learn uh, like to read Klingon, and that's almost the same sound. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess there, there's some nerds sitting around there and thinking they learn Klingon, and we're a Klingon band, but it's Swedish. I don't know. <laughs> you know, there are a few things that make your band unusual, at least in my eyes. Because 
for me, you don't do straight-up punk. It's anarcho-punk, and it also comes from a Christian viewpoint. And I find that to be an odd fit. How do Christianity and anarcho-punk work together? Like I would say that, that anarchism is, is born from the radical stance that it's, it shouldn't be any masters beside, uh, beside yourself, but that's not really true because even anarchists believe in love. Like you don't believe that it's okay to rape or kill other people. You should should treat other people with love. So it's not that anarchists doesn't have an ethic. And for us uh, as Christians, we know that the Christian God, as Christ portrays uh, God anyway, uh, not the church always, is love. So I mean, it's kind of the same, but we use different words for for what is the basis for our ethics. And when you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus is constantly uh, critiquing the people in power, um, be it the religious power or the political powers. And also the first Jesus movement saw themselves as belonging to another kind of country than the Roman Empire or Israel. They talked about the kingdom of God as a parallel society that lives inside all of these societies that are in the Roman Empire. So they view themselves as people belonging to another kind of, of society that's became available when, when Jesus walked here. Another way of life. And I would say that that kind of life that they portrayed is an anarchistic uh, way to have a movement because they didn't care if, uh, if something was illegal or not. They lived the way they did anyway. So sometimes they were in opposition to the, to the law and needed to break it uh, to be able to perform their Christianity and the good deeds. And sometimes they were allowed to do it. And all that changed later when Christianity rise to power and, and got power and money from the Emperor Constantine. And around uh, 396 or something like that, you see a, a total shift in Christianity's um, expression in the world. Like going from being a, a Christian uh, before 300, it was forbidden as a Christian to be a, a military uh, or a soldier. And this was also like frowned upon uh, if you were rich and didn't share your possessions with the poor. But after the year around 400, it's illegal not to be Christian. And uh, the army should be filled with Christians. And money was a sign that you were blessed by God, uh, the Christian God. So a lot of change uh, happened during those hundred years there. Um, going from a, a pacifist underground network to uh, uh, the establishment that has the power and also kills those that oppose Christianity. So you could talk about the perversion of Christianity happening there. So I, I guess when anarchism comes as a movement in the 19th century, it's kind of a, a way to recover a lost voice. Um, I don't think they, the proponents knew that they were speaking a lost Christian political dialect, but they were doing that. So that helped uh, the church to discover those kind of questions. What is it to, to be in power? And what is true power? And what should society look like? And uh, pretty soon you had a lot of Christians following along uh, with anarchists. So you had like Tolstoy and people like that who immediately saw the connection between Jesus preaching the kingdom of God and the anarchistic expression of not believing in the state or the, the political system of the time. This leaves me sort of wondering whether that blending of anarchism, punk, and Christianity 
has ever made it difficult for the band to get your music accepted. Yeah, yeah, it has. Like, in, in the church, it's not a problem at all. The old lady sitting in and knitting on Sundays, they love us just because we're there, and they have always been accepting towards us uh, in the church. But in the punk scene, like, people walk out in masses from, from gigs, and sometimes when, when you're just uh, visiting a, a concert and start to speak to someone, and they realize that I'm a priest in the Lutheran church, they just walk away. They don't even like say anything. They don't get mad. They just don't want to be a part of it. So it's it's quite strange that the punk scene who who really aims to be accepting uh, everyone. I would be okay if they started arguing with me. That would be fine because the church has done a lot of bad things and we have to take responsibility for that. But walking away is like not even recognizing me being there as a person. And that's that's quite mean. Like the punk scene has been so much more intolerant to us than the church. I mean, there's always some pastor somewhere that doesn't like guitars or anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> you you can't please them at all. But but the the church has, at large has always been accepting and inviting us and listening to our message. Maybe not buying it. Maybe they like critique our message. But we have always had a a welcoming atmosphere in the church. So that's <laughs> that's quite funny. Like. The punk scene is is much more conservative and have a norm of not allowing religious people to be outspoken, especially if you're Christian. Um, I guess it would be easier for a Buddhist uh, because you had some Buddhist and Hindu hardcore bands in the 90s. So that's like they can't get rid of them. I want to go to these old ladies at the church with their knitting so they come out to yeah. your shows and they jump into the mosh pit with everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really, but some of them uh, comes to our shows. Yeah, they actually do. It must be interesting with your shows because your band is large. You've got six permanent members. Also yeah, sometimes yeah. bring in quite a number of extra players. <laughs> if you're going to a festival that, that people want to tag along to, we always say that a part of the band so they get in free. And then we have to take them on stage so we don't lie. So that's that's the thing. So, <laughs> but the six of us is the real members or the core members. And it's it's just great. Like before we were four people and I was the only singer. And I feel so naked on stage. Like it's just me without a, a guitar or anything. And I feel so alone. So now we are three singers. And that's completely different. And it's so much more fun. We can have our, our own mosh pit on stage and... If I forget the lyrics, I just point to another one and they sing it and yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> so it's, it's great. It's kind of chaotic, but it's, it's great. Before we even started with our talk, I explained to you that I have no ability at all with languages. So I'm going to need help with your songs. Yeah, sure. The song title, Macronel, Oflu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took me a while to realize. Yeah, I know which song you're talking about. Machinelt Oflut. Yeah. Thank you. But <laughs> yeah. that translates as mechanical whispering. What can you tell us about the song? Okay, so so mechanical is right, and ufrit would be like when you have bad luck with something for a long time. Not less a curse, like you believe in curses, but it like this is bound to fail all the time. Oh, I guess um, Google so Translate yeah. failed again. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. So the song is about two things actually. It's about work and uh, and how society makes you 
work harder without a um, goal. Like society just want to be effective. You want to be more technological and have more effectiveness in society, but no one knows why. Because when we reach a new level of technology and a new level of efficiency, you have to come up with another job to do. Like today we have robots doing a lot of the labor work, but we're still working more than we did before. That's a song about that, uh, that kind of thing. And it's also a song about the, the gender roles that we have. And uh, my part of the song is about me trying to be a voice for some kind of person that wants to be, be both or have access to the whole of humanity's expressions and not just the male or the female um, expression. So it's, it's a two-part song about that. It's interesting that you do bring up that issue of gender. Many Christians struggle with that whole aspect, both sexuality and gender identification. Yeah, yeah. How is that in Sweden versus maybe here in North America? Since I haven't a big part of the North American discussions, but what we get here in Sweden from the theological discussions, I, I feel like you're, you're starting to have the discussion about that homosexuals and trans people should have a full access to the whole of the church and to marriage and everything like that. And, and more and more Bible-believing Christians are questioning their old attitudes towards that and being brave and starting to see that the Bible can be interpreted in, in another way. You, does, you don't have to leave the Bible behind. You can, can see that it, maybe it isn't that easy to see what St. Paul is talking about. So in a way, you are doing what we did 50 years ago in, in the Church of Sweden. We, we started to have that discussion. Uh, but it took us like 40 years of discussion before we made it possible for a blessing ceremony for um, same-gendered relationships. And after a while with that discussion and theological um, battles, because it was a battle, it, it's still a battle in, in some ways. So we have some uh, denomination that marries um, same-sex unions and, and some that don't. Uh, and the church that I'm a priest in, we are open for same-sex marriage. So for me, it has been a, um, a struggling too, because I became a Christian in a, a more conservative, uh, charismatic movement in Sweden that has a lot of good stuff about it. But when I started to read history and started to read about Roman sexuality and stuff like that, I kind of questioned that St. Paul really talked about the same thing we talk about when we... We talk about two men being married to each other and, and promising a lifelong commitment to each other. And St. Paul was surrounded by teachers having sex with the students, uh, like it was the right to do it. And uh, you have uh, married men going to male prostitutes. That's the normal expression of same-sex sexuality in the Roman Empire at the time. And also, like, a lot of temples had temple prostitutes with same-sex sexual intercourses in them. So I guess when Paul talks about this, he doesn't have in mind um, like a, a, a stable, lifelong uh, commitment in, in love and uh, monogamy uh, with each other. So, so that started with like when I read that and, and find out about that in, in history class, I, I started to question a lot of my more conservative background and could see the Bible with new eyes. So and that, that's also what happens a lot in Christianity in Sweden. Like people are, are seeing that it's, it's not that easy. So we don't know. Maybe he talks about all same-sex unions, or maybe he doesn't. Uh, but since we don't know which way is more graceful, 
and which way is more compassionate and, and which way is more bad to be wrong about. And when I follow Jesus, I, I find that he's always on the side of the oppressed and the, the compassionate side. So I choose that way, even though I'm not sure. Because I, I think closing the door for them is much worse than allowing them, because God has everything in his hands anyway. Um, so if there's Christians that doesn't have a problem with it and they, they want to marry each other, I'm not the one to stand against that. Let me bring up another song. Sure. Pura Yama is about hide-and-seek, but the song is really nothing like the kids' game. Yeah. This is the violent version. What caused the band to write the song? Like, we have lots and lots of friends that are illegal, or so-called illegal immigrants uh, in Sweden, and they, they sort of play a hide-and-seek game with the, the government to be able to live uh, in Sweden. Uh, or maybe just be able to come to Sweden, because since we are part of the European Union, it's really hard to get to Sweden, in a legal way anyway. So, like when the war in Syria was really big in the news, uh, the Swedish government said that uh, every Syrian is welcome here for the time being, and we will let them into our country. That sounds great, <laughs> but... In reality, there's no way to get into Sweden in a legal way. So they can say that and not uh, live up to it, because you have to take yourself to Sweden to be able to, to apply for asylum. So then you have to smuggle yourself through uh, all of Europe. And that's why a lot of people die in the, in the oceans, uh, because they're trying to sneak into the, the European Union. And like Italy and the other countries at the border, they have so much more strict... Uh, uh, immigration policies, so they get blocked there, so they have to bribe or sneak uh, away in or, or, yeah, in some other way get, get smuggled into the European nations. But if they finally come to Sweden, uh, the people from Syria was allowed to be here for a while, but a lot of other countries like Afghanistan and Iraq, when America did a war on terror, a lot of the people fleeing from that came to Europe. And they were uh, allowed to be here for a couple of years. And then Sweden suddenly said, now it's safe in Afghanistan and Iraq, so you can go back. And a lot of people did, of course, because they missed their home. But then you had the minorities, like uh, some Christians minorities or Muslim minorities, or some gay people also that we know, uh, that said that, yeah, it's not safe for us anyway down there because we are still hunted and we are still persecuted uh, and killed uh, every day. There's so much evidence that Christians in Afghanistan and Iraq had a hard time, and also those Muslim minorities. So a lot of our friends was had a, a time in Sweden and had been safe here for a while, and suddenly Sweden just said, it's safe for you to go back now. So the song is about their struggle, uh, if they should, should go, or should they stay here and, and hide and live some kind of underground life for a long time? Now, is there a future in that? Is that safer than going and like in the song I take the voice of the government. So I say some racist stuff and I talk about how the government wants to throw them out. The the theological background there is that we talk about the powers and uh, the principalities that Paul talks about. So there's a wordplay like the hide and seek for the, the immigrants, mm -hmm. but it's also kind of hide and seek game with the uh, racism and, and principalities of nationalism and stuff like that. Uh, 
hiding behind uh, the normal human government. So we try to take in uh, Paul's uh, teaching of that and use it in, in our, our society and our age today. You mentioned about Sweden when it joined the EU. Did that yeah. really change things for the country itself in its attitudes? Yeah, I guess it did. Um, a lot of things changed like on an official and uh, governmental level. So for the normal Swede, you didn't notice a, a lot of difference besides it's being cheaper to import stuff to Sweden. So that, that was a good thing for a lot of people. But um, when we signed the contract, we also signed a thing that was called the Schengen deal. That's uh, some countries that put up uh, an invisible wall towards immigrants and stuff like that. And we, we didn't know that when we voted about the EU. So the, the citizens of Sweden voted yes to something they didn't really know the, the consequences about. Because then you signed a paper saying that here are we going to follow the directives from the European Union. Uh, so basically you're, you're saying that European Union should have authority over Sweden in, in a lot of questions. But I would say it's still better to be a part of the European Union than not. Because I think what Britain is doing and other countries, they're doing it, believing that they are a better nation uh, for themselves. And I think the crisis that we're facing with, uh, with the environment and also the consequences of that with people fleeing from, from the southern parts of the world, up north, uh, we need to work together. And I guess EU, anyway, have some kind of network for doing that. So I think it's better to be part of it than not, but it's a lot of problems coming with it. Some of our discussion leaves me wondering about your lyrics as to what's actually dominating. Is it faith or is it your social and political views? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you can uh, split it up like that. Uh, we, we try to be faithful to, to Christ's teaching and it leads us to take some stances in, in politics. But we really try to say that we're not part of any party or more left or, or right, even though people put us in, in those terms, of course, but we are really trying to say, if we meet Christ, as we do in the Gospels, what would happen with our politics today? What would be the answer, especially for you as a Christian and the church? So I don't believe that we can say exactly how, how the government should do in every circumstance, because I don't think that, that Christ ever meant for us to be in that position or part of the discussion back then. Um, since being a part of a, an Anabaptist background, I guess you, you shared that kind of notion of not being in power, that Christianity shouldn't be part of the political power. So even though we have politics in our lyrics, I wouldn't say that we are a political band in the way that we trying to say just how, how the government should work or which party to vote on and stuff like that, because that wouldn't be our place. We're really believing that this is what Christ compels us to do, to show hospitality to the stranger. It's not that hard to understand Christ. I mean, it's hard to follow him, but it's not hard to understand him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, of course it's political, but, but it's, it's Christian. One of your song titles is an Arabic expression, inshallah, yeah. meaning yeah. God's will be done. Arabic Muslims and Christians both use that saying. I'd like to hear what you think. Are people honestly willing to accept God's will 
when it isn't what they want? Uh, no, we're not at all. <laughs> I'm not anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be, uh, but I, I think we're so stuck in ourselves, so so hard for us to hear, like in a direct way, God's voice. It's too dangerous to try to, for me as a person, to, to follow that instinct or whatever uh, and saying that that's God's voice. I think we need to listen as a community and listening through the filter of the church traditions and reading the Bible together. In that way, we can find God's will for the community and for maybe for yourself also. And when you do that kind of discernment together, I, I think that you are in a, a process of being it's easier for me to accept something that we have talked about a lot and discussed a lot in a group uh, and knowing that I do it with uh, someone else uh, to be able to know what God's will is. Uh, so that's the first thing I would say. Uh, but then you can still like hear the, the easy stuff like to understand, like show hospitality to a stranger. But how in the world would I do that when I work full time? I have a small child at home. Um, I'm afraid of, of the person that I meet on the street that doesn't have a, a home to invite him or her to my home. I mean, it's, it's not easy to follow that, but even though I know God's will. So then you have to, again, have a community that can take uh, a community responsibility for persons and being a, a safety net for, for people that are inviting people to their homes. So Christianity needs to have a much more local and neighborhood um, expression. So the big churches in, in one place, it's, it's not possible to follow Christ in that environment, I think. <laughs> That's a harsh word, but yeah. This makes me really interested to know, would you ever say that the intention of the music from your band is to change people? Uh, hopefully someone will get changed, but I think maybe it's more for people that are finding that they are not alone in the views and... It's more of a way to express our our hopes and our fears and stuff like that. So it's more of an outlet than a, a megaphone for, for change, I think. Um, hopefully someone listens to it and maybe gets a new thought or stuff like that. But I think we're in a way preaching to the choir. But it's a pretty small choir, so they need some... Some, uh, <laughs> some, uh, some people speaking to them and some songs to sing. Uh, sing along too so yeah so we've gotten into all kinds of heavier topics here something on a little lighter note i've heard that there are plans for a large compilation of music coming out this fall what can you tell us about it yeah so the compilation yeah we're really like honored that someone wants to to help us with that uh, because we we as a band have had so low energy for a lot of years now. I have been depressed for two years and a lot of other people has also been sick in other ways. So we don't really have any energy to do something new right now. But then it's, it was great to find his email uh, and just saying, yeah, if you want to do it, just do it. If you think that people are, are interested or should like the stuff we do, just just release it. So we're... We're just like surprised and happy that someone wants to do that. And he's been really like graceful and doing all the work for us. So, so it's, it's just a, it's a grace. I'm sure that people are going to want to find your band online. So <laughs> you get to do me the favor of spelling the band name so people can find you. 
Yeah, so you you have a Q and an X. No, <laughs> you have an S. So Svarteskärm uh, is S V. No. Oh, förlåt. Is my son here? Here's the book. Här är boken. Uh, <laughs> I'm too tired to spell spell the, <laughs> the name. It's S V A R T E S K E R M. Yeah, so Svarteskärm. As, as it sounds. <laughs> uh, but I guess it's easier to find it on, on Spotify and uh, Amazon and iTunes, stuff like that, because we don't really have a homepage or a blog or anything like that. We have an old page that hasn't been updated for years. This has gone a lot deeper than what I was thinking it was, but <laughs> Olaf, <laughs> thanks for coming to The Antidote and good luck with your fall release. Yeah, thanks for having us and looking forward to, to listening into your show now.